This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast is brought to you by Bethlehem College where students study the great books in light of the greatest book for the sake of the Great Commission. Life trajectories are set for young men and women in the pivotal period between the ages of 18 and 25. At Bethlehem College, students wrestle with these realities, not in a 200-person classroom, but a 200-person college. Bethlehem calls this approach education in serious joy and delivers it at one of the lowest tuition rates in American Christian higher education, only about $7,500 a year. Bethlehem College, education in serious joy. To apply or learn more, visit bcsmn.edu slash tgc. That's bcsmn.edu slash tgc. You're listening to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. Today, we bring you a breakout session from Eden Chen on being a Christian on the job, thinking creatively about faith and work. This message was originally given at TGC's 2018 West Coast Conference in Fullerton, California. I'm assuming some of you guys have read Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, um, just like the um, one of the early books I read on on faith and work. Um, wanted to highlight a, a section. If you haven't read it, uh, I'm going to just talk briefly about um, in the beginning, he kind of lays out eight different uh, places where you see um, Christians able to interact with their work. Um, and then I'm just going to touch on some of those. Um, we don't have enough time to sort of go and um, talk about every aspect of work. Um, and I'm not also equipped to um, talk about every aspect of work. Uh, so um, I'll, just, I'll talk about, so there's eight things that he mentions. There's probably more, uh, but he lays out eight of them. Um, first, uh, further social justice in the world. Um, second is like evangelism. That's probably like the big one. Um, third is like skillful, excellent um, work or just like the quality of your work. Fourth is uh, creating beauty with work, um, the ability to reflect God with beauty. Um, fifth, fifth is like the motivation that you get into work. And then he also like ties in something called um, just like engaging with culture. Um, into that. I don't know how those are super related, but um, that's fifth. Six is like working uh, with a joyful heart. So like the way that you respond to uh, certain circumstances in your work. Um, so if something goes bad, you're joyful. If something goes good, you're joyful. And um, the ability to sort of um, differentiate yourself in that way. Um, seventh is the whatever gives you the most joy. So pursuing things that we're passionate about. And then finally, um, making as much uh, money as you can and then giving it away. So Eight 
sort of different ways that we can be involved. Um, what Keller says is uh, if you say that one of those is the most important thing, then it sort of uh, um, de-emphasizes the other ones or some of them may contradict each other. But if you say that all of those are, are different ways that we as Christians can be involved in our workplace, then you can um, see how you can do each one of those things in your, in, in your given workplaces. So before I get started on, on my topic, um, just out of curiosity from you guys, are how many of you all are ministry leaders? Um, can I just get a show of hands versus lay um, people? So maybe like about half, I'm guessing, looks like. Um, good. So I'm typically used to speaking to a, a, a business uh, um, crowd, so I try to toward, uh, gear this a little bit towards um, how, um, hopefully that's still helpful for lay people, but also like how you all can engage with your congregations on, on work, since about half of you guys are uh, ministry leaders um, or, you know, in, in vocational ministry. So I'm, I'm, I'm focused on topping, talking about three different topics. Um, most of you are more qualified than I am to speak about the theological aspect of, of these things. So I'm going to sp- speak more about sort of the practical ways that I've integrated some of these things in, and then hopefully it gives you guys some ideas on ways that you can interact, interact with your congregation, um, um, et cetera. So the three things I'm focusing on um, are calling, um, excellence, and evangelism. Calling, excellence, and evangelism. Um, amongst those eight things that I mentioned, those cover some of them multiple uh, ones of those and some of them uh, maybe uh, maybe one of them but um, I'm not covering every single aspect of work so calling excellence and evangelism isn't the full sphere of all the things that you can do as a Christian in your workplace Um, so uh, just to get started calling uh, so uh, the framework that I I would uh, use when when I I'll give you a little little bit of background on, on myself but the framework that I, I would use um, when I kind of approach something is, um, what am I good at? What is good in this world to do? And um, what do I enjoy? What am I passionate about that? I, I think um, whether you're Christian or you're not Christian, a lot of people use that, that framework to sort of make, make decisions around work. Um, now, I think uh, something that the church, I've felt, um, has not done a great job doing is, is defining terms. Um, so... A lot of times uh, we, we throw out a term like calling or we throw out a term like good. Um, but as a church, we have, a, we have the responsibility and also the opportunity to define what some of these terms are. Um, so um, for me, I think uh, looking at those three questions, what am I good at? Um, that needs um, some, some definition, um, at least for myself personally. Like what, what am I good at? How, how does the church help me discover my gifts? Um, how does the church help me uh, foster those gifts? Um, what is good in the world? Um, I think that term good, right? What does it mean to be good? Um, what, what industries uh, are good, if any? And how are those industries good? Um, and so defining those things and trying to help people come up with examples. And then um, what do I love? Giving people an outlet to discover um, things that they, they may enjoy doing. So... Um, little bit of story around myself. Uh, I, I sort of, um, I think there's this quote that uh, Brian Eno gives around, uh, Brian Eno is a, uh, uh, he's the audio kind of producer for like U2 and really famous um, music producer. Um, and he said like, if you want to make a lot of money, um, 
uh, do one thing and 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 do it well. Um, and so I'm like the opposite of that. I I I've done a lot of different things, and so I've been extremely unfocused. And uh, and and you guys will will see that sort of complete chaos. But because of that, um, can kind of I've touched a lot of different industries and thought through how those industries relate to um, the gospel in some way or it, my faith in some way. So um, I became a Christian in high school, uh, wanted to uh, be a youth pastor like a lot of um, Christians that become Christian in high school. Uh, and uh, when I went to college, I uh, was on the path to sort of going to ministry, was taking Greek and Hebrew and, um, and, and getting ready to apply to seminary. And uh, I, was, I was a business major because I thought for church planting, um, you know, business would be helpful for that. Uh, that. That was kind of the only reason. I wasn't thinking like I would go into business or anything like that. Um, and uh, I was really into, uh, before I was a Christian, I was really into like stealing stuff. Uh, uh, my brother and I used to steal cars. Uh, we would... Um, you know, take take them apart, sell the parts. Um, we would steal. We would hack online, steal Diablo accounts, and sell the pieces on eBay and stuff like that. Um, just all sorts of stuff. So I got a lot of like random skills from that period in my life. Um, that uh, so the computer skills I got from hacking accounts and selling things like that, uh, I was able to use in in college um, as someone that was going into business. So in business. You know, you learn about finance and things like that. And so I started to think about, like, how I could use some of the programming stuff that I learned in high school um, with um, the, the, the business stuff I was learning um, so I could make some money on the side. I, I went to Emory for school, private school, super expensive, um, and was in a lot of debt. Like, my, by my senior year, I think I, I was going to have amassed 160000 in debt. Um, so my options were pretty much, like, I could marry someone that's super rich, um, to help, I mean, seriously, this is what I was thinking about, because um, I got to go four years of seminary, right? Uh, so 160k of debt, four years of seminary. When I'm done with that, it's like 250k, right? And as a youth pastor, you're not really making money unless you're doing something weird. Um, so my view is like, okay, I can marry rich, I, or I can make some money on the side. So um, started to try to apply some of those business things, and basically got super, super lucky when I was in college. Me and a friend um, uh, really had no understanding of risk. And so we we uh, took some really ridiculous risk risky bets uh, on trading, and um, through that got a lot of press when I was like 19, 20 years old, and on CNBC, Reuters, Bloomberg, and things like that for inventing this um, uh, algorithm that uh, ended up being like a famous trading algorithm. So that like sort of like uh, drove me to business, and um, I uh, my senior year I started doing some consulting for Lehman Brothers just before. You know, obviously Lehman went under. Um, that's like I could tell a lot more stories on that. But I was consulting for the, for them. So long story short, consulting for them, um, and just seeing like there's no Christians in this uh, this industry. Um, and I, we had a Bible study at Lehman Brothers, and it was like I think maybe like three of us um, that that were going at the time. I mean, this is like it's like thousands of people um, there, and. Uh, so it was just very secular. Um, you know, most of the people were there to make money and. Um, was just kind of like, this is like a great ministry uh, opportunity. And um, because of that, I sort of felt um, that maybe like, actually, you know, part of what I was thinking was that like, I'm probably like too shady to be like a youth pastor. I need to go into business. I'm like, you know, like not, like 
youth pastors probably shouldn't be, or pastors in general, they shouldn't be like so numbers focused. But like by nature, I'm like a very numbers focused person. So I was like, if I go into youth ministry, I'm just gonna, or ministry, I'm just gonna be constantly worried about numbers. But it turns out that numbers is like great for business. So, um, so God sort of redirected me. It was like, you're too shady to go into ministry. I want you in business. And so uh, ended up working at a bank for a year. And then me and that same person that traded in college, we, we went and um, started a, a hedge fund together. And uh, um, that's, I guess, I guess what my, when my first, uh, some of the first questions that started coming up with calling for me, like, okay, I wanted to be a youth pastor and now I'm trading um, stocks and moving around this money. And it's like, what, what, is, what is the good that I'm producing? I think that was the time that like the book, Every Good Endeavor came out. Um, I was actually thinking about writing a book uh, at the time on like interviewing other Christians. I was like, I, I, who else is like in business that's a Christian? I want to learn about this and um, Center for Faith and Work and all these like uh, faith resources were coming out um, and uh, that, that were just super helpful for me um, while, as I was sort of seeking this question out. And I had a mentor that was challenging me like, what do you really do at a hedge fund anyways? And um, so I ended up leaving the fund just because I couldn't answer that question very well. Somebody may be able to answer that question. I wasn't able to answer very well. So I left, uh, worked at a a church called Reality LA. um, And then um, during that course of that year, I really felt that, again, that reconfirmation that God was calling me towards towards business again. So over the last five years, I've been involved in all sorts of different businesses. Um, Fisherman Labs, the business that I started, does consulting on the technology side for a lot of consumer and entertainment brands like Disney, Fox, Paramount, um, Nike, Puma, um, a lot of the kind of Fortune 500 consumer brands. Um, and uh, so I first started with that and then ended up starting a uh, real estate fund, a construction company. Uh, we have food company now and a, and a software as a service account management tool. Um, so we're sort of in all different random industries. And I, I kind of want to give you guys a taste of how I've thought about um, how these businesses relate to my faith. Um, but I also, so there's two elements I think that are really important. One is like having a vision and having a sort of like a theology of the work that you're doing. And then the second part of that is like the actual execution of doing that. So those are two like very different things. There's a lot of people that have, well, I'd say most people don't even have a theology of why they're, they're doing what they're doing. They don't have a, a view of, if they're in work uh, as a medical professional or whatever, um, I don't think most people, at least that I talk to, um, have a strong view of this is why I'm doing this and, and, and those eight things that I mentioned, how those relate to my work. Um, now, some of the people that do have those, there's very few people that can, they may have a view of what they ought to be doing or that they wish they could be doing, but then the execution is like another uh, huge challenge. So I'm gonna give you like some of the vision. The execution on my end has not always been great. Um, in fact, more of the time it's probably been bad than it's been good. Um, but at least there was a vision. Sometimes there was some execution. Um, so technology, um, is, is a very unique, uh, um, industry. Uh, and every, every industry is a unique industry because they're all different industries. Um, so technology, the unique parts of technology are that, um, there, there's an ability to be, uh, remote in nature, uh, there's generally a high-income, highly educated, staffed person. Um, so those are like a couple um, uh, kind of interesting parts of technology. So when you start to think about technology and the ways that it can work with something like missions, we were pretty excited about the opportunity for that. So 
Missions, we looked at, had a, a bunch of different uh, issues at the time. So um, one, uh, long-term funding is an issue in missions, right? If you're a missionary, um, your funding base has always been the U.S. U.S. has become more secularized, just less funding base. Um, two, visas are very difficult to come by um, in, uh, you know, especially nowadays with the U.S. going crazy. Um, so, and then people associate U.S. with Christianity, right? So, so, so like China doesn't want Christians in China because Christians are all Americans and we don't want American influence. So visas are harder to come by. Um, three, uh, reaching working people has, has always been something that's, that's been difficult for missionaries. Um, typically missionaries start by working in healthcare, education, um, generally in like a lower income segment. Um, if you wanted to reach like uh, a working population in India, for example, very, very difficult as a missionary because you don't speak the language. Um, you're, you're, you're not a programmer, so how are you going to break into that space? Um, fourth, short-term missions has kind of, I think, been, there's been like a lot of good, you know, when helping hurts and things like that around like how, you know, short-term missions can hurt by enabling and, and, and these kinds of things. Um, so short-term missions have been a problem. You have like a programmer that goes to India and he's make, he or she is making houses, right? It's just like not, there's like people that are way better at making houses, right? So there's like, um, all of those are like issues. And we saw like, okay, how can tech serve some of those issues, right? Tech is remote in nature, right? So I can hire someone in India. I can hire someone in Poland, in Ukraine, in Czech Republic. It doesn't really matter. I can hire people anywhere. They can all, they can all work um, for us. Uh, and uh, two, governments love, uh, governments love technology. Um, they, they are very interested in working with um, profit-producing technology companies. Um, technology is like cool now. So whether you're in Pakistan, where we have an office, or any other place, you, you, can, uh, you, can, you can gain the favor of governments, get access to visas, things like that. Funding, business makes money. You can fund missions with, with business. Um, so this is like, I can go through all of them, but this is like your traditional business as mission. I think that technology has a very good um, foundation for doing things like business as mission. Um, Food, we started a food company um, that does instant noodle called Common Foods. Um, and uh, the interesting thing with food is that there's lots of manufacturing that's involved. Um, uh, and um, my wife and I live in, uh, in a low-income neighborhood. A lot of times we're thinking about how, well, you know, how can I use technology to really, like, employ people in my neighborhood? Um, the, the reality, after thinking about it for a long time, there's education and things like that, but the reality is it's very, very difficult. You're, the, the opportunity to get somebody uh, who grew up in a single household that have, has, you know, very sort of um, is behind in education, that they will become this world-class programmer is, is there's, it's, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult. They're, at scale, there's, there's no real kind of solution for that. Now, so, so we started thinking about what are the different ways that we can employ people um, using business. And uh, food was one of those things where we can create, uh, you know, food is this thing that's, you know, that requires a lot of manufacturing. We have the opportunity to do that. So that's food. And then food, you can also, you know, you have the output is something that you can use um, to, to feed people, et cetera. Uh, I could go down every single one of these, but like real estate um, is, is generally based off of community. Um, you, if you want to uh, have redemptive real estate, there's ways to create community. Um, you can, um, you know, f better your, uh, we're in low-income low neighborhoods for the most part. There's ways that you can um, better those neighborhoods in certain ways, et cetera. So uh, every single business has sort of a, 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 there's a, there's a foundation for why we went into that business and how we felt that it could ultimately have some kind of um, impact-driven 
you know, metric that we could drive from it. We haven't always succeeded at that, but in some cases we have. So um, callings, like, I, I think you can, you can take that framework and apply that to any industry, and you don't have to be an entrepreneur either. You can, um, you can do that in any industry. So I think, like, encouraging people to think of creatively about how their industry can be used in some fashion. Um, I, I think a, a big part of... Um, I'll talk, I'll, talk, I'll talk about observation later because I think um, there's so many ways that we can see the gospel in almost everything. But uh, um, let's just move to excellence. Um, so excellence is something that um, I think Christians... So there are certain natural advantages that Christians have when it comes to excellence. Um, and there's, there's some disadvantages as well. Um, one disadvantage I'll throw out there is like um, there's some people that can work like you know 20 hours a day every day and that's that's their lives Christians you know there may be seasons where you can do that but in general that's like idolatry <laughs> so you have a you, there's a disadvantage that you can't do that I mean you can argue that that's an advantage because a lot of people burn out and etc but um, to some extent not being a workaholic is a disadvantage. Now, there are a lot of natural advantages as, as, as Christians that we have as well so I'll throw out some of these advantages one and these advantages are things that I think are theologically true, but don't always happen. So I think these are things that need to be taught in the church about why people need to be doing these things. So the first one, and maybe the most frustrating one for me, is like risk-taking. Um, I think Christians have this unique ability to take risk um, for, for many, many different reasons. So they have the ability to take risks because, uh, because we believe that God is sovereign, and therefore, ultimately, we can take no risk. Um, so... Um, our ability to uh, do something and know that God is sovereign and therefore we, we're, we're able to be comfortable in that risk is better than someone that just does some random thing and, and expects a random outcome, right? Um, and then we're also called to take risk. If you go and look at um, Parable of the Talents, right? Something like that. I mean, there's a lot of different parables on this, but look at Parable of the Talents. Um, somebody, you know, I, I can read it. So, uh, it will be like going on a journey, um, a servant uh, who called his servants and entrusted them to property. One of them, he gave five talents, another two, another one. Um, he received the talents, went at once and traded with them, made five more. He had two, made two more, and then he had one. He dug in the ground his master's money. You guys know the story. After a while, the, the master comes back, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, to the other two. And then he goes to the guy with the two, and he says... Um, uh, you know, what have you done with, with what have I trusted to you? And the person says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did, not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid, lack of risk, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here's what it, here you have what is yours. Um, and then that guy gets destroyed. So you guys know the story. Um, so what is the issue there? So most people in Christian circles talk about stewardship when they talk about risk. So I think actually this is both a stewardship issue and a risk issue. This person was stewarded with talents, um, given something that um, the master expected a return out of, but was afraid to take risk, um, and therefore there was no return. Um, and, and business is all about risk. Everything in business is risk. Like if you, the more risk you take in general, um, the higher return you get. Um, so. Uh, Christians historically have been great risk takers. Like you look at, um, you know, uh, how fast the church expanded, the way that church served people during huge health crises, um, the, you know, the, 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 the historical, you know, missions and, and, and business uh, throughout history. Um, Christians have been great risk takers. Um, in, so whether it's, it's, it's our, our 
reputation or whether, I think there's a truth to that reputation, is that Christians in this day and age are kind of the safest, um, you know, conservative, I'm not talking about politically conservative, I'm just saying kind of conservative, safe, protectionist um, type people, right? And I think in churches, you have an opportunity to, to encourage people to take wise risks, um, not foolish risks, wise risks. And, um, and I think the, 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 there's an opportunity to teach that risk is actually like um, a key part of what we see in all these great figures. If you look at Paul and the amount of risks that he took going from place to place and getting stoned, and um, you look at Esther and the, and the risks that she took, um, Joab and Abishai, there's you know, story after story about the, the crazy risks taking that people have had. I think um, shame in, in, in Christian circles is, is a huge thing that pushes people away from risk-taking, like the, uh, being afraid of failure. I think we need to teach people that failure is not, um, like God uses failure and weakness to, um, to speak to us. Um, so encourage people to take risk. Um, not everybody needs to go out and start their own business, but risk needs to be something that is, um, healthy biblical risk is something that needs to be taught more in churches and encouraged and, and celebrated. Uh, uh, secondly, um, relational, um, Christians are just relational in nature. Um, we believe that it's through relationships that, you know, people change. And ultimately, as someone that hires people, um, if someone's very smart uh, and then someone's less smart, but one person is more trustworthy than the other, I say, like, trust to me is almost like the most important value of uh, when, I, when I go out and hire someone. So um, if, if you are known to be a trustworthy person, um, you have in a, a huge advantage to the people that, are, that um, may be smarter than you, maybe um, have more experience, but are not trustworthy. So that's just a, a natural kind of advantage that, that, uh, um, that they have. And then um, humility, uh, I think, is, is huge, too, as well. These are some of the most important uh, hiring things that we look for when we hire. Um, someone that's humble... Uh, if you throw a bunch of people in a room and you're you're trying to do a critical thinking session, um, you need someone that that has critical thinking. That's important. But if if someone's not humble and they're not willing to listen to other people, that person is like completely useless um, from a creative session. So um, you know the Bible. Obviously, there's there's tons to unpack around humility. But those are th- these are things that not only are biblical principles, but that give us a huge advantage in business and. Like the excellence factor is the, the the sad and difficult thing about it is that some of the like most un kind of excellent things that we see tend to be like things that are produced by Christians. So um, I think it's that we need a standard of excellence that says here are all the things that uh, that give us a an advantage to be excellent. I mean there are there are weaknesses like we can't work as hard, blah, blah, blah. There, there are things that we can't do, but let's stop producing things that are not excellent um, and because, because it's, it's really, it really hurts um, our message when we you know, put out, whether it's art or culture or entertainment or, or whatever it is, stuff that, that really just doesn't have any, um, anything outside of just like um, the movie. Not, not that all Christian movies are bad, but a lot of them are, <laughs> let's be honest, right? Um, so just making some Christian movie for the Christian community that encourages, um, you know, fathers on how to be a better father, whatever it is. Um, let's make like excellent, if you're going to do something like that, make an excellent film that speaks to Christians. Um, so that's excellence. And then finally, evangelism. So um, this is, what time do we have until? Does anyone know? Is it 2.30? 
Or is it two? Hopefully it's not two because then we're done. Oh, two thirty. Okay, good. All right. So evangelism uh, is uh, is the is. is Oh, till three. Okay, great. Because um, I want to leave some time for Q and A as well. Um, so evangelism is another one. Um, so this is something that I thought about a lot um, of, and I, I um, so humble brag. Uh, well, that's not humble at all, actually. Just brag. I, I in general, have gotten uh, almost every single interaction that I have with. I spend most of my time with non Christians. Um, most of the interactions that I have with non Christians, I'm able to tell them about my faith in almost every, in almost every conversation I have. And it's not, um, it's not something where I'm in people's face about my faith. Um, and so I, I just want to give you guys some um, maybe strategies on how I've been able to do that. Um, and, um, and so I think in general, my, my strategy has always been like, it's very, very awkward to, um, to say um, to someone, I'm a Christian in the middle of a random conversation, right? If I'm discussing um, uh, Viacom's uh, new Nickelodeon app or something, we're working on the Nickelodeon app, um, it's going to be very hard for me to just be like, hey, I'm a Christian. You know, this is, this is, it's something that doesn't come up in normal conversation. So there needs to be something that uh, gets that person to ask me about my faith. So what are the things that we can do to get people to ask us about our faith. I think that's, that's like the overarching question for me. Um, and there, I think there are tons and tons of different things that we can do, um, but that we usually don't want to do because those things are hard things. So typically the way I think about it is that if you do something that's weird or just out of the norm, people are going to ask you why you did that thing, right? Like if you uh, wear something weird to work, People are probably going to ask you about it if it's really weird. Um, so that's not that, that's not the point of like where weird things to work every day. But what are the things that you can do that will make people ask you about my faith? So here are some things that um, is here are some I don't I don't know better like there's sort of like stumbling blocks is the way I think about it. But the stumbling block hopefully leads to Jesus. So um, these are the stumbling blocks that sort of like people stumble upon in my conversation with them. And then, and then that leads to a gospel conversation. So for me, uh, my wife works on Skid Row, um, which is just a weird, uh, most people's, so get your wives to work on Skid Row. <laughs> no, get your husbands. <laughs> uh, so obviously not realistic for a lot of people, but my wife works on Skid Row. That, that, is a conversation that comes up very often where people, you know, ask me about my family. Um, I talk about um, my wife's job. She, she uh, works with the homeless on Skid Row. So that, that, that often leads to gospel conversations around why, um, you know, Jesus cares for, for the poor um, and, the, and the homeless and people that are disenfranchised and um, are addicted to things and all sorts of things. Um, so uh, that's something that just comes up in normal conversation it's, it's normal for people to ask you about your family. Um, and so when your wife makes a radical, it's like, I didn't force my wife to go work on Skid Row. She's just crazy. Um, but the fact that she does, it does come up in conversation a lot, which leads to a gospel conversation. Um, two, so I have this uh, ring that's a little tattoo here. Um, a lot of people ask me about this ring uh, randomly because um, it's weird to have a tattoo ring. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a nail and uh, most people are like, why do you have a nail on? You guys all know, obviously. Uh, so that leads to conversations around, why, do you got, why did you decide to do that? Um, and so, I mean, my, I, at the time that uh, I, I got married, I could have just bought a ring. And, um, you know, the tattoo ring and a ring, it's about the same cost. Tattoo ring's like 80 bucks, 
you can buy a, a ring on Amazon. You might lose the ring multiple times, so maybe the tattoo is actually more economically efficient. But point being, it wasn't an economic decision. My point is no one's going to ask me about a ring, but the tattoo at least may open up some conversation. So that's the ring. Um, my wife and I, about five years ago, we moved to uh, South LA, um, more well-known as South Central. Um, five years ago, South Central was um, you know, a place that people didn't move to, um, uh, especially Asian people. <laughs> Asian people still don't move to South Central, but uh, some white people are, but no Asian people are, definitely a lot of Latinos. Uh, and, uh, but five years ago, um, you know, there were helicopters, gunshots, all the, all the stuff that you hear um, about South Central was there. We grew up um, doing a lot of inner city um, things. We, we feel, for us, it wasn't one of those things that we want to be um, the savior of, of South Central. It was that we felt that, A, Jesus, we, we've experienced Jesus um, when we've spent time with people that have very little. That's just, um, for us, um, we, we have experienced the presence of God in those situations, and so we wanted to seek that. Um, but another great reason is that almost any conversation that I have with anybody, when I'm, when I'm in a business context, almost everyone just, you know, kind of like just random talks. Oh, where are you coming from? Where do you live? These are just like random conversations that come up. Um, and I say, I live in South Central. And, you know, nobody lives in South Central that works in my business, that works in my context. So most people are like, oh, oh is South Central gentrifying? Uh, you know, why, why, where, where are you com- why are you coming from South Central? What's, uh, what's the reason for that? And then, I, you know, we tell them, well, hey, we, I just tell people, uh, we experience God when we spend time with people that have less than us. Um, and um, we wanted to, be, wanted to be part of a community where um, people have been around for a long time, um, lost their roots. There's a lot of things I can get into for, you know, why specifically that. But that's a gospel conversation. Um, uh, Fisherman Labs, our business name, uh, people always ask us, are you guys, I mean, you're a tech company, why are you guys called Fisherman Labs? Um, uh, and that leads to conversations, hey, my business partner and I, we met in church, um, we're, we're followers of Christ. We felt that fishermen, a bunch of these fishermen were the, kind of the most impactful people in the history of civilization. Um, you know, whether you're a Christian or not Christian, that's just fact. <laughs> all the cities and everything, governments, all this stuff impacted by these people, and we, we want to make impact. So that's why we call ourselves fishermen. That leads to gospel conversations. Um, my wife and I are, uh, we, we're, you know, in the process of getting foster certified. Um, tons of people ask us about why we're doing that. Um, can you guys not have kids? Um, you know, is a dog not good enough? Um, uh, dogs or cats or stuff like that. You know, we love animals in, in, uh, in LA. Um, but uh, if the foster system, adoption, stuff like that, I mean, I could get in a whole random about the foster system. The whole foster system exists because we as Christians are not, um, uh, you know, taking up our calling in taking care of orphans and widows. Um, but uh, there's so many opportunities for nobody. Most people that are not Christian are not going to get involved in the foster system unless they have, unless they're either old and they want uh, a head start. And there's a new movie coming out called Instant Family that Paramount's doing. We're working on that. Um, but the director, um, he uh, he fostered, but they did it because they were older and they wanted kids that were that were older. And, and a lot of times there's infertility issues. In our foster classes, what we found is that you have like a few archetypes of people. You have like the 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 single mom that wants to uh, foster the the relative. You have the 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 just sweet Christian person that wants to um, foster. That's awesome. And then uh, typically like 
a lot of those people that we see in those classes are sort of lower income um, or they don't have huge houses, but they just um, felt the call to, to foster. Amazing. Um, then you have the, the, pers- the, the people that are inf- infertile um, and therefore they're fostering. Um, all cool things, but my, my thing is like, there's a lot of rich or higher income Christians out there. Where are the higher income Christians in the adoption and foster space? Like, it's like as if the more that we have, the less we're involved in brokenness and, and, and uh, in helping other people. So um, just a rant on, the, if God's blessed you with stuff, do things that are, that are risky, that are out there, that, that people are going to ask about. Um, and then the biggest thing I'll say from an evangelism, evangelism standpoint has been um, transparency, um, which everyone can do um, in every context, um, whether you're an entrepreneur or you work somewhere or wherever. Um, I, when I first got into business, I felt that um, if I was super successful and I made a lot of money and a lot of people followed me on Twitter and all this kind of stuff, I would have the opportunity to, to influence people for Christ. All right, that was like, I thought that that was, that, like if, if I have influence, people will listen. Um, turns out that like, no one really cares if, I mean, no one really is gonna ask about Jesus because you're influential. Uh, they'll, they might be impressed with your, your, your success, but they're not gonna ask about Jesus. Now, when you're transparent with people about brokenness, those people will ask about Jesus. Um, so um, I'm wearing this, this shirt, uh, to, uh, Talitha Kumi. Um, my wife and I, we just had our first daughter um, who's seven weeks old. Um, we were told at, at 13 weeks that uh, she was not viable. Our, our doctors told us that, um, that uh, you know, maybe we should abort the child, all this kind of stuff. We, we, kept, we ended up keeping her. She has a, um, she's seven weeks old, uh, was five weeks early. She has a, something called a, a cloacal anomaly. Very, very rare, like one in 30,000 or, or less than that. But basically, like, uh, all of us have a cloaca. The cloaca typically um, differentiates into a vagina, a urethra, and an anus. She did not have any of those things happen. She uh, has one common channel and no anus, no, vagina, no outward vagina, and things like that. So um, she you know, had to have surgery right after she was born. Um, her, her, her thing is one of those things where I... Um, it's a hard, it's a very hard thing, right, obviously. Um, and it's not something that um, gets fixed. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where her anatomy is a certain way. We can have surgeries and things like that, but that's something that we have to deal with from, like, from a long-term management standpoint for a long time. Um, so the opportunity here is that a lot of people, it turns out, struggle with some type of, it may not be a clinical anomaly, it may be something... Um, it may be a, a preemie. A lot of women, uh, I, I didn't know this, a lot of, a lot of women have miscarriages um, and, and it's not talked about very mu- much. Um, in fact, I, I think that I've heard some, some stats like, two, two, like two-thirds. It's like experience of miscarriage at some point um, that are, that are trying. trying. Um, but there is so much brokenness out there that, that is not talked about. And so my wife and I, we just tried um, to be very open about what was going on with our, we, we blogged about it. Uh, we, I, I, I posted a blog on um, Talitha's condition a couple times um, and I got hundreds of responses um, from non-Christians that reached out to me and said, I'm praying for you or, hey, I had this situation as well with 
my son or um, all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, opportunities to talk about Jesus in a lot of work contexts because I was blasting this on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere. Um, and that's, not, not everyone is um, maybe called to be that open, but transparency with brokenness and weakness and things like that lead to gospel conversations. So, and anyone can do that. I mean, all these things are hard things that anyone can do, really. Um, and we often don't do those things because they're hard. But I guess my, my general point is that the only things that are going to cause people to really ask us about our faith are the things that are countercultural, that are hard. Um, and so um, if you want to speak to people about Jesus, do things that are difficult. It's going to look different for every person here or people in your church. Um, but, you know, gaining influence and being successful, those things don't lead to gospel conversations. Um, but being transparent about brokenness does. So um, those are just a few examples. Like I said, there are lots of examples of things that you can do um, to uh, talk about Jesus with people. Um, and then I'm going to talk briefly about some, some trends real quick uh, that I see in the workplace. And then we have probably 10, maybe 15 minutes for, um, for some Q&A, if you guys have any questions. Um, so uh, these are some trends that I see in the workplace. Um, I would ask, like, how do these impact my congregation in terms of the work they do? How does this impact the culture of my church? Um, how does this impact uh, the people uh, that uh, myself and 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 um, so uh, more remote work? Uh, people are freelancing uh, more often, and people are working multiple jobs. Um, I can't get into um, the implications of each one of these. There are implications to all of these things. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to have enough time to get into those, but think through some of the trends that are happening in the workplace and what the implications of those are. The example of this one is relationships look a lot different when people are freelancing and working remote and um, uh, working multiple jobs. Um, and it's, it's a great pl- the church is a great place to process some of those, um, those changes, um, and it's often not a place that that happens. So great opportunities to, to, to see trends and, and have conversations around this. Um, people switch jobs more frequently uh, and um, there's less loyalty. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that you're incentivized to leave your job um, more frequently. I can get paid more if I uh, continue to switch jobs than if I stayed at a job for 50 years because that job's not going to give me a pension anyways. Why not? Why, what, what's the point of staying there? Um, so uh, that's, that's the reality. People are switching jobs more frequently. Um, there's... Uh, less pensions and retirement options out there. So people are probably working for uh, a longer period of time than they used to. Retirement is not really an option. I mean, there's like tons of stats out there on um, the really the lack of savings in, in the American um, public. Um, so people basically don't have savings. Uh, increasing disruption of lower income jobs. Um, uh, I think that's true and not true. Um, I think uh, a lot of times... Every, everyone does this. Christians do it a lot too as well. We tend to um, be overly negative on certain things. Um, the reality is like the economy is um, very, very strong right now and unemployment's at an all-time low. Uh, and, uh, but there are uh, trends that would disrupt 
a lot of low-income jobs. Now, I'm not saying that those low-income jobs won't be replaced by other jobs. They could be, but there are people that are going to have jobs disrupted. Um, you know, helping them find additional, uh, get additional training or, or whatever it is that's important. Um, uh, people interact and get addicted to technology more. Um, uh, I think people get addicted to uh, people throughout history have got addicted to things. Um, I think the thing with technology is that uh, the tools out there to uh, addict people are more powerful than um, because there's more data out there and that data is getting smarter. Um, the ability when you're incentivized as a company to monopolize people's time uh, and you have unlimited amounts of data and understanding of behavioral psychology, um, you can addict people to anything. So, um, you know, people are, I mean, obviously, I don't need to tell you guys, everybody's addicted to technology, including myself. Um, people are looking for jobs that provide more personal fulfillment. Uh, people find meaning in their jobs instead of outside their jobs. That's a trend uh, that can lead either to like more um, obsession with their job or you have, I think in general, I see a couple types of people in the church. You have people that are working and they spend all their time in the church, like serving on, you know, multiple small groups, blah, 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 blah. And then you have some people that are like very involved in their work and they spend very little time in the church. So helping people find that balance of what does it mean to be an excellent church member, um, but also excellent at your work. Um, uh, te technology allows people to work on less monotonous tasks. That's going to be a trend that we see more and more. Uh, there's there's people, less stay-at-home people. Um, you guys, you know, these, some of these are obvious. Uh, younger people are in leadership roles. Uh, there's less hierarchy. So a lot of people in your church um, that are like me and younger um, are being put in leadership roles at a very young age. Um, I think you see that in the church too as well. Um, it's, there's less sort of, sort of seniority and whatnot. And uh, also um, the idolization of entrepreneurs and technology and all that kind of stuff. That's um, all your congregation members and are reading the stories of Elon Musk and Zuckerberg and, you know, all these people. So um, there, there's an idolatry there. Uh, I think most people are not called to be entrepreneurs. Um, and in fact, um, I think... Uh, there's there's an assumption sometimes that um, that that's like the way to go um, when it when it often isn't. Um, but a lot of that is born out of this idolization of these people that everyone wants to be Elon Musk and and whatnot. Um, so those are some trends. Um, James four thirteen to sixteen has been a huge um, help to me for work. Um, you guys I think know the passage. I'll just read it and then I'll um, open it up for. Q and a. Um, it says, come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Um, that's such a business. That, I mean, like passage, this one, uh, which was so helpful for me. Um, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Um, this is, I mean, this is just speaks to business people. <laughs> and this is exactly what we do, right? You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Um, a few takeaways. Uh, it matters how you speak about business. Um, uh, it's important to remember that uh, we're all going to die. Um, and also important to remember that God is in control. Thank you all for, for the time, and it's uh, great meeting you all. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org.